what the hell. Here we are, guys. It is episode 26 of Our Kids Asleep. It's been a while. Hasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it has. Yeah. Two weeks. In case you couldn't remember, this is Jay Alejandro and... Maddie. We have come back from a an unexpected hiatus, and here we are joined by uh, Oscar, our piece of crap cat, who's going to try to make as much noise as humanly possible mm-hmm. during this broadcast, but... Thank you very much for joining us. I'm afraid he's going to like go and stick his head in the insulation again. I, I think so. <laughs> he has a tendency to find holes in the walls and go sniffing well, the insulation. Our, our basement is unfinished, so the insulation is just like held in by this plastic. And he likes to get in where there's weaknesses in the plastic. He does believe that it's cotton candy. <laughs> again, yeah. who, who doesn't? Who doesn't, guys? It's yeah. good stuff. Anyway. So... What are we going to talk about? We have a, a couple of things that we discussed that we thought might be mm-hmm. worth a chat. So I'll let you take the lead on that. So we're going to talk about Tom Segura's show, which we went to see last weekend. Cool. He's doing the Take It Down tour, so we saw him come through Denver. Um, we're going to do a news roundup. We haven't really heard one way or the other if people like this or not. So we're just going to keep doing it until... It, it works for me, yeah. so let's uh, let's make and it happen. the next thing would be um it's october so we're gonna talk about scary movies halloween stuff i'm very very excited very yeah. excited oscar can you get him can you get him out of my life he's stuck it's... in between the computer and well, my microphone. that's we should have set up the other microphone so that he could be part of the show but we had no previous arrangement to have him on the show so <laughs> that's not gonna happen today sorry yeah. bud so what are you drinking tonight a white wine a white wine. Pinot Grigio, I think. Yeah. I don't Good know. stuff. That That is a, a Pinot Grigio from the uh, Maverick around the corner. <laughs> Thank you very much. That is what good husbands do. They get their wives uh, sloshed. I'm drinking the, uh, the good old-fashioned tequila and grapefruit juice. Mm. Um, I, I'm of the impression that it's a Mexican staple but i think that might just be something that my family does because mm. it could be i i don't know i don't know it is delicious it is to the point and i love it but i heard that not a lot of people enjoy grapefruit juice yeah is, I that, is that true i wouldn't say it's a the most popular of the juices <laughs> no <laughs> well people are out of their goddamn minds i don't know what they're missing they don't know what they're you just missing. have a you have a, a penchant for the sour yeah and that's about as sour as you can get. Yeah. And then you put some salt in there. Although too. I have to say it is good. I mean, with the tequila, I think it does taste good. Oscar. <laughs> he's, he's racing. He's doing laps. <laughs> <laughs> so let, let's talk about Tom Segura. Yeah. So we went uh, we went to Denver last weekend to T-Buns, see Tommy Buns. To see Tommy Buns. Um, he performed at the Belco Theater in the Denver Convention Center. So what was the expectation here? Because you and I have been following his comedy for a little while we've been obsessed with his last special and we had some reservations and what were those yeah so we i mean we watched his last netflix special which is called disgraceful available on netflix now we watched that movie we watched that show like we watch it so much a lot a lot that we we quote it pretty regularly we have it like memorized yeah and so that's like and i've watched his other specials and this one was like peak for him like we're i think so it was really good so we were i I, at least i was trying to sort of um gauge my expectations a little bit and just like tell myself that like this may not be as good it's still gonna be fun but oh my god it was so good yeah and he really oscar he really knocked it out of the park though i thought that with the expectation that he had set with a previous special mm-hmm. and i i thought that he delivered very much so it, and it was in the same vein he actually um retaliated on some of the the attacks that he had received from his first special which i thought were hilarious yeah i thought he worked that in really well like yeah. I th- you know he had it wasn't it wasn't they were new bits like they were new jokes yeah. But sort of building off jokes he'd already laid the foundation for. Right. And he only did that a couple of times. I mean, yeah. there were there was tons of originality and yeah. and new new um subjects and mm-hmm. topics that, that he wanted to address. But the the controversy of the the people from uh 
Louisiana. Uh, yeah, Louisiana, who were giving him a, a lot of grief, mm-hmm. I thought was hilarious. He did a great job. But one of the things that struck me was how impactful of a show it was for the people of Denver because they showed up. They showed up. Yeah. They weren't messing around. So the Belco is a huge... I had never been there. I didn't, I didn't know much about it. It's a huge venue. It is a 5,000-seat venue. Mm-hmm. And he sold that place out twice. Yeah. So two shows in one evening, 10,000 people. Right. And everyone was up for it. And, and from what we had heard in the past, Colorado or Denver in particular seems like a really, really good place to to work the comedy, you know, for them to actually polish their work and, yeah, and I don't do know. what they need to do. I don't know what it is about Denver, but a lot I've heard a lot of comedians say that that Denver is just a really good comedy town. It's a welcoming, welcoming atmosphere. Yeah. Yeah. And um yeah, it was it was a really fun show and like totally worth the aggravation <laughs> of getting to Denver through the traffic and it, the, it can be a fucking nightmare and when it we kind of was this time around. When we went down, there was a lot of uh of construction mm-hmm. in the way, especially around the the Fort Collins area and, and we were almost late. We almost didn't make it. Yeah, I mean it was yeah, the construction was an issue. There was a couple crashes like near Denver, <laughs> like near the city and so there's a lot of like slow. Yes. Slow and, and can we traffic. take a moment once again to talk about these horrible drivers who are texting and driving at 70 miles an hour? Okay. Good grief. I know we've talked about seatbelts. We've talked about. It's our public duty. It's a public service announcement. Yeah, so but we, let's address it. Specifically texting and driving, using your phone while driving. Yeah. You know, it's one thing to use your phone at a stoplight. I don't do it, but I know people do, <laughs> you know, to, to check your messages at a stoplight. Okay, at least you're not moving. Sure. But these people are stopped in traffic or not even stopped. Like, we were moving, <laughs> but it was slow. And there was a lot of, like, hitting the brake because yeah, traffic it, was stopping. Yeah, it was stop and go for quite a long time. But not quite like... Quite a bit. It was more like stomp and go. <laughs> like, yeah, you were stomping on your brake because the, yeah. the traffic kept slowing down really quickly. And I was just waiting for one of these dumbasses who was on their phone, not looking. I mean, you take your off, your eye off the road for a second. Right. Even to just, like, look at the radio or look at your, I don't know, look at something in the car. And you could rear-end You're somebody. about to ram into a vehicle. And yeah. I was really more concerned for the semi-truck drivers. Yeah. Because there was a lot of people who were just piling on in front yeah. and not paying attention. And then slamming on their brakes Exactly. In front of them. They were not giving them enough time. And I swear to God, I almost saw two of them. Mm-hmm. Two crashes right there mm-hmm. and it could have been awful yeah it's so. it's kind of infuriating but anyway we made it through the traffic and uh it was well worth well worth the trip it oh was and worth we, the show we stayed at the hyatt which was very fancy i felt like a million bucks it was very well the reason i chose it is because it's right across the street right <laughs> it was right. convenience but more you know, than anything we, we were overdue for a vacation honestly yeah. we we had a really really long summer and granted i mean a uh, an overnight that was kind of rushed and, and super yeah. fast can't really be considered a vacation but it was really welcomed given that we had been working a lot this summer and and I just felt like it was it was time. So I think the comedy made it all all the better mm-hmm. as well. Just getting to have that moment of relief uh, after a busy summer, I, I thought it was uh, really well timed on yeah. our part. So it made us enjoy it <laughs> just a little bit more. Yeah, it was really fun. I had a good I had a good time. Yeah, but you notice that it, when when stand up comedians are are doing their bit, and we we're getting to the point where we've seen a few of them now, you can tell at what level they're at mm-hmm. and also how far in the development of their, their hour they're in. Mm-hmm. So like when say we went to see Christina, she was still in the middle of just kind of working it and, and figuring out it what was, was going to be put on, in. Yeah. Early on in her process. And yeah. with, with Tom, when we got to that, you could tell that thing was polished. You could yeah. think he could shoot the special tomorrow, like tomorrow yeah. and he would be set. But, as you were mentioning, and I'll let you talk about this a little bit more, when he brought out his notes, that's when you knew that he yeah. was starting to work. Yeah, so he you know, he had a lot of material. He was on stage for, I don't know, a good 
I would say a little over an hour. Yeah. Yeah. Um, before he brought out his notes and I, it wasn't like a huge change, but you could kind of, he kind of said like, you know, you guys are like, you guys are a really good audience. Like you guys can are tell up you, for you're it. up for it. So I'm going to tell you some stories. And yeah. so he was just like looking at his notes and like telling us these sex <laughs> stories from his youth, <laughs> or, and uh, yeah, trying things out. Yeah, and it was it was cool to see him um, sort of work the muscle, even though you can tell like this stuff is polished. He was he felt comfortable, and that the crowd was game enough to to sort of just try out maybe material he doesn't do yeah. every night. And it, it goes to show what kind of crowd Denver is. Yeah. From what we've heard, it's a it's a really good crowd. But yeah. I thought that it was worth the price of admission, and I'm still surprised at how affordable comedy shows yeah. are because we're used to the going to the concerts, going to mm-hmm. to see bands and stuff like that. You know, hundred bucks, one fifty, you know, or whatever. For two people, yeah, for two yeah. people, and then a comedy show was like what thirty bucks? Yeah, thirty about 30, <laughs> twenty bucks, thirty five per person. Yeah, yeah. so. Very, very much worth it. Mm-hmm. I give it five stars. <laughs> yeah, and it was. Um, I've been wanting to see Tom for quite a few years, so yeah, it was really cool to finally, finally get to see him live. Yeah. So overall, what do you think? You give a tank to Tom? Of course. Let's give Tommy Buns. Tommy Buns gets a tank. Tanked. Oh, and he also had some. Some like little tidbits for the podcast crowd. Yeah, he just yeah. it was they were the smallest little things, and you could still laugh at them even if you didn't know the joke. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but yeah, those now, were those were good. Who was his opener? Do you remember? Oh yeah, his opener was a comedian named Jeff Tate. Jeff Tate. It's G E O F F. Cheers, Jeff. He was great. Like I knew the I knew of Jeff Tate because Tom's been taking him on the road for years. Has he? Yeah, oh. and um. He's been on the podcast, and they talk about him sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, for the for podcast listeners, he's the Gatorade and hot dogs guy. Um, if you've listened <laughs> to the podcast, you've heard Tom and Christina's <laughs> stories about him living on their couch for five days and eating uh, hot dogs from the 7-Eleven and Gatorade. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> but anyway, he was super funny. Like I thought he was really great. He was a great opener. Yeah, I, I loved his overdrawn Best Buy bit. I was really <laughs> yeah, taken by that. That was good. Anyone who's worked in customer service welcomes those kinds of anecdotes. Yeah, it was good. He was a really good Funny opener. Funniest shit guy. Yeah, he was, yeah. He was very Yeah, we were... Good. My brother... Stoned as hell. Oh, yeah. He was as high well. as a kite. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, my brother and all of us and his girlfriend were there as well, and we were we were trying to guess who his opener was going to be because it wasn't on the bill. And yeah. there were three of them that I thought it could be, and Jeff Tate was one of them. Um, I was still hoping for Josh Potter, as, I know. as you had said. That would have been really sick. It would have been great. I'd love to see him. The cockroach. The cockroach. <laughs> Sorry, guys. This is just one big inside joke. Yeah. If you don't listen to your mom's house, just listen but to it. But that's fine, because we have plenty more inside jokes coming. So we're going to go from comedy inside jokes to political inside jokes. So the next 10 minutes are probably going to be an ad for Yang Gang. So mm. just stick around. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about that soon. Yang Gang. <laughs> Gang gang. Gang gang. You have to say so, it like Theo Vaughn. Gang gang. <laughs> he uh he released the names of, of the people who won. Oh he did? The Freedom Dividend. Oh, I didn't know that. And I was really deeply saddened because I was not one of those fucking people. How many people was it? I don't know, like oh. like um twenty, like ten. Really? It was it was a couple. Oh. I just saw a thirty second ad on Twitter, so that doesn't oh. fucking give me any I, information. The only thing at all. I saw was um, <laughs> there was a person who won who didn't answer the email. Oh my! Who didn't God. reply to the email? So they lost out. Oh, I don't know. I don't. I bet you they did. I don't know if they lost. That out, would be but... so cruel, but also righteous. Yeah, man, check your email. Uh, uh, yeah, totally. Oh, dang it. See, I'm glad that you put your email because I have like 20 emails that I never check. Did I would you be not, in trouble. Did you not do it yourself? I, I was going to do it that one time, but I got distracted. Oscar, put that down. Oscar. <laughs> What's he playing with? I don't know. He's messing with my stuff. <laughs> you found what something. What is that? It's, it's, it's. <laughs> Are you fucking serious? That's a seashell. <laughs> it was a seashell. Dude. Just let him play with it. It's okay. He can't get. He can't fit that in his mouth. He's so. gonna ruin everything. No, I, what I do take away is when he plays with pennies. 
You think he'll, he'll he eat Yes, he could choke on a penny. He's stupid. No. He plays with them, and then he puts them in his mouth, and then he runs away from me when I try to get him out. He's had a good life. He knows exactly <laughs> what he wants. Maybe he hates it here. He can go play with the Maybe he's show. like, you guys never let me eat the cotton candy. <laughs> <laughs> I fucking hate you guys. <laughs> I wish Will, Will Smith was my dad. <laughs> Stupid. God damn it. Stupid cat. Yeah, our cat is a piece of shit. But anyway, uh, do you do you want to do a uh, a news round? A news roundup. <laughs> let's see. Let's see what a fucking shit show we're in right now. All right. Um. Okay. So if if you guys are just joining joining us, what we started doing is we're going to Reddit and we're looking at the top seven or top ten news of the week, depending on how they're they're ranked or rated. So at this time. We're really just kind of going with how depressed we are. So if if we find several stories that are horrifying, we usually only make it to five or six. But if we're finding some feel-good stuff, we might go over to ten. So okay. are you ready to give this a shot? Yeah, and I don't think we should skip any this time. Yeah, let's not. We, we just we have to it. face our fears, face our disgust and disdain. and And maybe not talk too long about each one respond quickly do you want to do the timer again because that was a, a really mm. good idea okay let me just think about oh that's my calculator that's not the timer are you sure we can multiply time Wait. that's the secret <laughs> okay let's do it let's see. one minute you want to do one minute or two minutes two minutes seems too long but How a about... minute doesn't seem long enough well why not a minute 30 all right let's try that that sounds pretty good Oh. All right, I'm ready. Let's go. Okay, the top trending story on Reddit. Amber Geiger found guilty of murder and fatal shooting of Botham Jean. Let's see what's going on here. We might have some audio, so I apologize. I already, I already know what the deal is. I can explain it. Okay, well, you go so for So Amber it. Geiger is the Dallas police officer who shot and killed Botham Jean in his own apartment because she mistook his apartment for her own, and she killed him, thinking he was an intruder in her apartment, but it was actually his apartment. And this jury found her guilty in less than five hours. Which so, is surprising. Yeah, and they sentenced her surprise. they sentenced her to ten years in prison for murder. She murdered, fatally shot a twenty six year old accountant from the Caribbean nation of Saint Lucia, who was Saint Lucia. Saint Lucia. I'm sorry, you know these better than I do. But he was just minding his own goddamn business. Probably, I think he was like getting a snack or something from the fridge, and she yeah, the, showed well, up and shot him. Yeah, and uh, there, this is a really complicated story, and that's why I think it's become national news. Mm-hmm. Um, sh- it was a really, it was a mistake. She, she, par- she turned into. I know we're not supposed to go over a minute and thirty, but this is complicated. No, that's, fine. that's fine. She came into the parking garage on the wrong level. Okay, so she came home from a thirteen-hour day. She was an, she was a police officer, so sure. she was off duty at this point. She came into the wrong level of the. Of the parking garage, so yeah. on the wrong level of the apartment building, thinking it was her the correct level. She came into the apartment building and she got to the door that she thought was her that she thought was her own, and in, in these doors, I guess were metallic and heavy, and they shut on their own. But for some reason, his door had not shut all the way. It was it was not completely shut. Which is insanely if, tragic. If it had been shut, she wouldn't have been able to get in because her key wouldn't have worked. Right. But because the door was open, she thought someone had broken into her home. And and she was, she was on the defensive at yeah, that point. Well, and she and, was armed because she was a police officer. And, no, and so anyway, so she goes in. He doesn't understand why there's someone in his apartment. She thinks he's an intruder, that he's coming at her, and she shoots him in the chest and right, kills but, him. Right, but you know, the one thing that the other point of view that I heard on this, which was fairly interesting, is that she didn't follow protocol in that situation. Technically, if if you're in that kind of situation, you need to retreat and call for backup. Mm. And she she failed to follow that mm-hmm. particular protocol, and it may have been because she was tired, exhausted, or afraid, or just recently, you know, joined the forces. Wasn't she just like a couple of months in or something like I that? Don't know. She was fairly new. I know she was young. She's like thirty two. Right, 
which I can completely understand, but I think that's really what counted against her, that there was protocol that she did not follow when engaged in that situation. Well, considering she was a police officer, she would know that kind of protocol. Exactly. But I think the interesting thing that I think the attorney, like the prosecuting attorney brought up was the fact that there were signs. Yeah. That that was not her apartment. For the the big one that I remember is the the doormat. Yeah. He had a doormat and she didn't or the other way around. Like Whatever. there were clear indicators were clear, along the way. Yeah, there were clear indicators that this wasn't her apartment. So And how did she miss all of those indicators? Yeah. I don't I don't know if I The problem is We've all been in that situation where you get on autopilot or you're exhausted and you're on autopilot and right. you end up doing something stupid like you drive past the turnoff to your house or mm-hmm. you know whatever it is. But this just happened to be one of those situations where the mistake was a fatal one. Yeah, and it's it's really it's sad. I mean, it's completely uh tragic for for both parties mm-hmm. because I I'm sure that somewhere in there there was no intent it was just fear yeah it was a uh, um, situation completely overrun by by fear and, well, and that then, was the sort of the guiding thing that caused that tragic yeah, event and then i mean the whole issue that she was white and the victim was black you know that brings up the whole issue there's of, yeah of there's definitely an, another component there and, and that kind of stuff and then yeah. there was something else that happened when she was sentenced mm-hmm. the brother of the victim hugged her yeah. in like a, a display of forgiveness. And there were people who clear, of course on the internet who were, you know, sort of cheering him on for his selflessness. And then there's people on the other side of it who were like, why, why are, are, why you, are doing you doing that? that? Well, mm-hmm. and, and there's a, there's an argument that, um, why do black people keep having to forgive the white people who are doing violence against their community? And this is something that is really complicated. Yeah, it's it's, it's really complicated. And I think it's it's difficult to address because there are elements of it that point to it being just a tragic accident. Right. But the the tensions yeah. of of being a you know that person being a white well, and, officer and, yeah and, and there's that argument like victim, if it, he had been white how would this have played out yeah if if she had been black and he'd been white or or yeah and you how, you see, how would this have played you know out exactly how that would have turned out there would have been restraint yeah there would have been at least that's the argument that there would have been restraint on her part or at least that I don't is, know. Yeah. I don't know because I could think how I would react if I thought somebody was in my house. Yeah. I would be scared. Yeah, but I wouldn't hang out. I would get the fuck out of there. Yeah, but she's a cop. She would have followed protocol. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I, I think that given the nature of, of her training, yeah, that's true. she should have known better. Yeah. And that's, in my opinion, why that was determined the way that it, that it was well, determined. Well, yeah, in the end... She killed somebody, regardless yeah. of whether it was an accident or not. She right. killed an unarmed, innocent person in their own home. Yeah. She was trespassing, even if she didn't realize it, mm-hmm. and she killed him, period. Yeah. And I think the fact that there were more black people on that jury than white people determined her fate. It, it would have been a different fate. Had it definitely been. would have been different. But, you know, we hope that she finds peace and uh clearly the you know member of the family offered forgiveness to her so we hope that that is something that she can uh she can learn from and um you know yeah do what she needs to do but it's it's heartbreaking mm-hmm. as it tends to happen in in those situations it's it's very heartbreaking mm-hmm. damn damn Next so that was song. more than a minute and a half like we yeah. had talked about but let's see what else is going on Okay, here we go. Here we go. Let's come. Holy shit. Holy shit, Oscar. He brought. Okay. You want to pause it? No. Okay. <laughs> We're going to suffer through this. He knocked okay. over. He knocked over the keyboard. Oh, my God. Did he break it? 
is we have a large keyboard that sits on a stand and Oscar somehow knocked it to the ground. It still plays. Okay. Oscar is now <laughs> halfway across the room laying on top of the mattress looking very uh, guilty. Look at him. Uh, yeah, you know what you did. It's <laughs> like you know I'm just I'm just taking a nap. Just laying down. As a patriarch from my big fat Greek wedding once said, "Exeno. <laughs> Exeno, get him out of here." <laughs> Jesus. He's like, "No, I'm going to sleep." I'm done making noise. Mischief managed. Yeah. So where were we? God, this one's bad. All right, read it. Don't skip it. Mississippi police officers fatally shot a man in a wrong door raid. The city says he had no constitutional rights because he was an undocumented immigrant. Are mm. you kidding me? Well done, Mississippi. Uh, God. I mean, that's all you need to know. Why is why is this an argument? The why are you saying that he The city says he has the city says he has no constitutional rights because he was undocumented. So the city in in uh, the state of Mississippi is saying that this this guy was not a human being. So they it was a wrong door raid, which means they were at the wrong house. Yes. They killed him and then they said, "Oh, it's okay. He's not a person." It's a, yeah, it's a, it's okay. He doesn't have any rights. He's just an alien. Well, that's nice. For fuck's sake, people. This let's see. Ismael. This is a person. The city of South Haven, Mississippi, argued in a legal brief that a man who was fatally shot by police in 2017 had no constitutional protections because he was an undocumented immigrant. Ismael Lopez was killed in 2017 after South Haven officers arrived at the wrong door to execute a warrant. After a commotion, they shot Lopez in the back of his head. In the back of his head? They didn't even see who it was. Like an execution? They shot him in the back of the head. Attorneys for Lopez's family have filed a civil suit over the shooting and are seeking $20 million in damage. An attorney for the city has denied that Lopez was protected by the Fourth Amendment and the Fourteenth Amendment, which protect against unreasonable searches and seizures and guarantee equal protection under the law. The Supreme Court has ruled, ruled multiple times that any person on U.S. soil, no matter their immigration status, is protected by the Constitution. Fuck you, Mississippi. This is this this is one of the headlines that makes me not want to leave my house. Yeah, and and given the last two headlines, I'm compelled to deadbolt my house and and really just not let anyone in yeah. ever, ever That's again. Infuriating. I'm really baffled by this. <laughs> I thought I that we were going to have a couple of easy ones. I think but it's I interesting that the Supreme Court clearly has precedent for this, has ruled multiple times. <laughs> And yet Mississippi <laughs> didn't fucking get the message. No, you you, you have no idea. Yeah. yeah. All right. That's great. Let's move on to the next one. <laughs> oh, look at that. Oh, that's good. Okay. Wait, number it three. Says, wait, hang on. Okay. The title is Indianapolis decriminalizes marijuana. But before that, it says misleading title. Well, let's see. Marion County will no longer prosecute simple marijuana cases. So it gets a little more complicated. So you read on. The Marion County Prosecutor's Office announced Monday that it will no longer prosecute simple marijuana possession cases. Too often an arrest for marijuana possession puts individuals into the system who otherwise would not be. Duh. That is not a win for our community. <laughs> the enforcement of marijuana policy has disproportionately impacted people of color. Again, duh. And this is a first step to addressing that. Okay. So essentially all they're saying is we're not going to put a guy in jail for having an ounce of weed on him. Yeah. Have Big you any, steps. Have you any doobies? Maybe. Maybe. Okay. Proceed. How many bricks you got? I don't know. <laughs> like $20 worth? Just <laughs> that kind of major Get shit. Get in the back of the car. <laughs> Get in the car. Yeah, all right. This, right isn't, this isn't really progress. This is just bullshit. Yep. So, moving on. Let's see. Planned Parenthood to open mega clinic in Illinois, a response to restrictive abortion laws in Missouri. Hmm. That's good, I guess. Yeah. Help out the, the the people. Yeah. Oh, it's going to start out applying. Is it just a video? Or is there no article? Oh, there's an article. After, secret oh, construction. After okay. over a year of secret construction, probably good it was secret. People would have mm -hmm. fucking blown it up. Mm -hmm. Planned Parenthood announced its newest abortion facility in on when... Okay. 
abortion facility? That is that How is How about uh, a clinic? <laughs> Planned Parenthood does not have abortion facilities. <laughs> for God's sake. An 18 18- they have cut the ribbon, cut the ribbon, much like an umbilical cord Jesus of death. An 18,000 square foot mega clinic in southern Illinois. The new the new location is just 13 miles away from the Missouri's last remaining abortion clinic, a facility in St. Louis fighting to keep its license. Since October 2018, Planned Parenthood has used a shell company to construct the facility, leaving no public trace that the former medical office would become one of the largest abortion clinics in the country. CBS News first visited the site in August while it was still being built. Colleen McNicholas, the chief medical officer of Planned Parenthood of the St. Louis region and southwest Missouri, said the facility was built in secret to avoid protesters and delays. Hmm. Other Planned Parenthood projects had run into problems once the public realized the construction was for an abortion provider. In one instance, a communications company had refused to install telephone and data lines. In another, a cabinet maker never delivered an order, McNicholas said. In Birmingham, Alabama, protesters targeted Planned Parenthood suppliers, flooding their social media accounts with fake negative reviews. So this this opens up a a larger discussion on Planned Parenthood, which we can only... it's it's an iceberg of a thing. Yeah. But this reminds me of uh, um, an episode that The Daily did a little while back on when Planned Parenthood fired their their CEO, their operating main person, because there was a disagreement in philosophy about what Planned Parenthood actually stood for. Mm-hmm. And there there's two sort of factions where uh, a portion of or a majority at this time believe that their fight is in abortion rights and and specifically maintaining that that um opportunity for for individuals to receive that kind of attention when they need it no you know no questions asked we're not here to judge we're here to help out strictly let's focus on abortion rights and make that sort of a, like our tentpole thing and the that CEO who came from from more like a private practice kind of running hospitals and things like that, her idea was to make it more of like an open um, clinic, more like a clinic style and try to promote the other services mm-hmm. that are within Planned Parenthood that are less known and and to sort of de- or remove the stigma of, of the brand that is Planned Parenthood um, to to fight – to fight the bias in that way, but she was let go because of a disagreement in that. And I, and I just think that it's very poignant that Planned Parenthood has to come to a decision of what kind of, of provider it's going to be. If it's going to be sort of like, a an, um, a rights activist for strictly abortion, or if they're going to, to focus their, Sort of like their their branding or their targeting more toward being a clinic and, and opening up those services in the eyes of, of a lot of Americans about you know what they actually do. Mm-hmm. So I think I think it's a, a curious kind of dilemma that they they have on their hands because they are sort of like the beacon for for reproductive rights in this country, um, but at the same time they're also the target because of it. Right. So. I don't know. Uh, I, I think that it's it's great that they're trying to open up these facilities to help people in need mm-hmm. um, because – I think yeah. – um, yeah, I do think it's good that they're opening opening that big of a facility in a place where these, these services are going away. And I think the most um, important issue when it comes to the fact that these clinics are closing – is not just the fact that it limits women's access to abortion, because that's not all Planned Parenthood does, as exactly. you pointed out. Planned Parenthood is a reproductive health clinic. They see men and women, and it's, you know, they deal with all arrays of sexual health. Right. Um, and when a Planned Parenthood closes, particularly in rural areas where there's not a lot of uh, options, especially for low-income men and women, that completely eliminates um, their, you know, these people's the, access the ability, to yeah, to go and get to that looked at. healthcare. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's why places like that 
have such high teen birth rates, why they have such high maternal mortality rates. Right. Um, and such high rates of STIs. And we come back to, to the level of, of fear. Just because you're afraid of it doesn't mean it shouldn't be there. Right. This isn't something that, that is, is tainting your community. It is a resource for you to try to understand and how it helps the community that, that you're in. Uh, in terms of, of the services that it can provide, it's not what you would quote unquote call a baby killing facility. That's mm -hmm. not, that's not the purpose. That's not what they do. So but that's what sells. That's that is what it is sensationalized. That's, that's the only way sure. that you get people to show up with picket signs. Yeah. Is you call them baby killing facilities. Well, it's a, it's an inflammatory subject and that's why it's used in politics so much. It's such a, you know, hot button issue mm -hmm. that if a candidate aligns themselves with that and they frame it in, in a religious way, if they frame it in, in a cultural kind of way to demonize the other, to demonize that, that other enemy. I mean, that's, that's just, you know, free votes, mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> you know, in a way. So good for you, Planned Parenthood for trying to keep on going. But, uh, again, I would like to clarify this is, uh, <laughs> maybe it maybe it is I'm an abortion sure, facility i don't know that, i'm that, sure that eighteen thousand square foot mega clinic abortions are not all they're doing guys okay <laughs> oh my god <laughs> it's actually a pretty small percentage of what planned parenthood like of the the number of services that planned parenthood offers abortion is a very small percentage of that oh yeah oh yeah so uh you want to move on to the next one all right okay naturopath who said bicarbonate soda cures cancer banned for life by health watchdog in australia australia okay oh come on the guardian oh well not like you oh cookies okay, okay. yeah do you like cookies sure okay a naturopath who told vulnerable clients that their cancer was a fungus that could be cured with bicarbonate <laughs> soda rather than through conventional medical treatment has been barred from practicing for life, according to New South Wales Health Care Complaints Commission. Barbara O'Neill describes herself as a qualified naturopath and nutritionist and has worked at health retreats in Queensland, Victoria and New South Wales. She gives lectures internationally, has authored books on health and nutrition and appears in YouTube videos. The HCCC found Mrs. O'Neill does not recognize that she is misleading vulnerable people including mothers and cancer sufferers by providing very selective information. Okay. So she's just a kook who had a megaphone. As it tends to happen on YouTube. So that's, that's a fucking open and shut case. Yeah. Uh, we should, there's so on. much garbage on YouTube <laughs> and people take it as gospel. Well, like yeah, they're, they're on not, YouTube. they're not like, <laughs> no, they're, they're on YouTube. They're sponsored. They, they don't vet these they're people. Verified. Like, <laughs> you know like it's yeah they're verified do so. you think youtube like maybe 50 years from now is going to be such an entity in world medicine that they're going to have like the new journal of youtube or like a, an actual verified uh sort of like a like group of professionals mm -hmm. who are who are sort of like youtube university for doctors like you don't you could go to harvard or you could go to youtube yeah or you know? costco yeah, like get if you get your law degree at Costco. at Costco, you get your doctorate degree at YouTube. At YouTube. Yeah, there you go. YouTube University. Oh, it'd be fucking great. That was silly. Okay. Shelter for male survivors of domestic violence to open in Danville, Indiana this fall. Okay. That's wonderful. That's good. That is... Let, let's see a little bit of detail on this. Can you tell me? When you hear the words domestic violence survivor, many of us picture a woman, but one in seven men in the United States has been on the receiving end of domestic violence. It's real, but often invisible. It is a real, but often invisible reality. Experts in Indianapolis working to assist domestic violence survivors said there is a gender gap in services. Sheltering Wings said yeah. many domestic violence focused organizations are working to fill that gap, but more work needs to be done. I think this is a tremendous thing that is happening. It's a, it's a great thing that this community has recognized that this 
section of their community needs help. Mm -hmm. And I think that every community in this country should behave this way and try to advocate for people who are disenfranchised and don't have a leg up in the world and are dealing with trauma, um, regardless of their, their gender or, you know, um, yeah, I, I think, um, that's great on them that they're doing that. Yeah. It's very necessary. Mm -hmm. We need to be more empathetic to those situations. Yeah. So let's move on. Okay, so the next one. (laughs) Prince Andrew could become more deeply engulfed in the Jeffrey Epstein scandal as police in the U.S. seek to talk to victims of the late American billionaire pedophile. That is quite... Which, Which one is Prince Andrew? Um... Where's he from? England. This is how much I give a shit it's about England. royalty. I don't know how he's related, but he's English royalty. For Prince and uh, blah, blah, blah. The Sunday Times reported the FBI has expanded its investigation to identify alleged human trafficking victims of Epstein who could provide information on the Duke. I'm assuming that's Prince Andrew. And really, I, I have to say, I'm with Bill Burr on this one. Sign me up for the conspiracy theories because that motherfucker was murdered. Yeah. I I firmly believe that when you get to the echelons of power that these people navigated, how can they not pursue those kinds of, of pursuits? Yeah. I, I mean, it. I think it's a complete corruption of power. And when they fly in those circles, it's... It, it's almost logical to me, and maybe it's insane to the, to the common listener, or not the common listener, but to a layperson. Um, but I maybe I'm insane, but that just seems like it doesn't seem that out of the realm of possibility. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, these people are, you know, they're used to taking advantage of people. Yeah, and they're used to getting away with it. So anybody that compromises their ability to get away with something, they gotta go. Yeah. So, and especially know. if if you're uh, in, in uh, pretty much a member of the royal family, yeah, yeah, I'm I'm curious if this level of um, I I've I've been curious about whether pedophilia in these cases because it seems like there's a lot of pedophilia in very powerful people. Why is that? Is is no. does it because I think the general understanding of pedophilia is that it is a it is something wrong in the brain. It is a compulsion, it is a sexual compulsion in the brain that obviously our culture has deemed inappropriate, abhorrent for good reason because mm-hmm. it's children. But I don't understand why there's so many of them that are rich and powerful. Well, In these cases, this is, these are like, this is like a systemic thing. That these people who are wealthy and have power, all of them like underage people, like girls. Well, think about this, okay? Uh, when you get to a certain level, there are certain things that tend to happen. To be part of a community, sort of like, a, you know, some people might go golfing. Other people might indulge in this sort of behavior because it is almost a part of the community. And I think that we, we need to take into account the the level of influence that that kind of community has on other individuals within that circle. Um, I would liken it to something that is done in those circles because they can it's almost like because it's a a complete abuse of power a perversion of of what is right and wrong Mm. and i almost would imagine them doing that casually yeah but that that is me looking at it from a perspective of them just having no feeling for for those who are their subordinates subordinates or or inferior to them in their eyes so that's interesting. I, I don't know. I mean, yeah, it's, because okay. it's hard to, to really so find a, reasoning. I read a book that. called, um, what was it called? The Devil's Punch Bowl by Greg Isles. And it's, that book is about 
um, sort of the seedy underbelly of the gambling community mm. in this particular place. And there's they they there's a group of people. So there's like gambling boats, right? Because it's like on the Mississippi River. Mm. So the people that own the gambling boats also own they're also running like a dog fighting ring, like an underground dog fighting ring. Okay. And so it's almost like there's like an escalation of activity. So like you start at like gambling, like sure. on the boat and then you want something like more exciting. So what's mm -hmm. more exciting than gambling? How about betting on dogs, like dog fighting? Okay. Uh -huh. That's exciting. Okay. What about gambling on like, forcing men to like hand-to-hand -hand fight like to the to the death okay, okay that's exciting yeah. oh right. but i need more so what about um you know abusing a young girl like paying to like whatever sure and so it's just like this escalation of abuse this escalation of this uh you know what's the next biggest thrill mm -hmm. and so i'm wondering if that's kind of what happened like yeah, like they have so much money and power, they don't know what to do with it. Yeah. And so they have to like go keep going like higher and higher and higher. Like what's the the most thrilling, most power abusive thing I can do? Yeah. Oh, having sex with underage girls for money. And think about this, okay? We're we're trying to rationalize this from our perspective, the perspective of, you know, um lower class or working class people, mm -hmm. right? But we don't start our lives at the level that they do. So the, from the moment they're born, they have this infinite access to wealth and, and opportunity and entertainment, appeasement, yeah. right? So when they start at that level from such an early age, what are they climbing up toward? What is what is it that they're they're searching for? Yeah, you know, and I I feel that. I mean, I'm I'm not a psychologist. I but think you that's can yeah, and I think that's it in a way. I think that's a really interesting. That completely changes the idea of pedophilia, because it's like, you but know, then, but then again, that's this is just a specific subset of people, though. I mean, I the if if you're talking about it being you know what it has been scientifically proven to be that is still the case probably but these folks are able to pursue that to their fullest potential because they have the means to do it and they ha they feel they have no repercussion i guess what it proves to me is that with any amount with with the right like circumstances there's a lot more people who would be willing to take advantage of an underage person if the price was right and if things were if like you know what i mean like it's not just this like this this yeah and and i get what you're saying in in my heart of hearts i don't want to believe that mm -hmm. as much as i i i'm trying to put those pieces together i don't want to live in a world where if you reach that level of power you feel that you can do anything that you want I mean, I want to have hope in the world that that we are better than that. But mm -hmm. I, I mean, clearly this this might be an indication otherwise. But yeah, um, yeah, I, I, I think they have something to hide, though. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. This is what just like fuck, this is just like the tip, the tip of all the of, stuff that happens. Like there's, yeah. you know, everything else underwater is stuff we don't see. Right. So, all right. I think we've just about bummed everybody out with this shit. Uh, we are going to try to find one uh, one good one. God, and we, then we're going to move on. We didn't on. even talk about any of the impeachment, the whistleblower No, shit. we're not, we're not going to get into that. There's not time <laughs> in an hour-long podcast to do this shit. How many people have been accidentally shot this week? Yeah, it's a lot. Uh, we're scrolling down. Uh, ha, ha, for Harvey Weinstein. Fuck that guy. Uh, R. The Kelly. Hong Kong ships. No, China's no. killing Hong Kong protesters. Is there really anything uplifting? No. Our quest to do something uplifting. Fingers cut off. <laughs> Honor killings. <laughs> wow. I tell you what. Let's let's look inward. Let's look at our community and let's talk about something positive that happened this week. Maybe not in our lives, but maybe something in in Casper. Hmm. Maybe that maybe something good happened. I don't know. 
I'm trying. To I'm not going to find it on Facebook. I don't know why I went on I'm Facebook. I'm trying to think of. Um, I'm trying to think of something. <laughs> you know, we don't have to think that hard. It's just a podcast. Let's okay. let's move on. We we only got a couple more minutes to get to our last topic of the night. And uh, how about we talk about something scary because it's the first week of October, and I'm super thrilled. And I floated this idea uh, by Maddie to see if this would be something that somebody would love, but I'm full of horrible ideas. So <laughs> I'm just going to tell everybody out there who may be listening, maybe one or two people, but how about this? How about a podcast where you talked about Halloween year round? And even better, if you didn't want to just talk about Halloween, what if you talk about fall? year round because it's the best season in the world mm -hmm. i think there's potential i think there's goodies involved i think that you can have a blast in the cool fall air 365 days a year <laughs> what do you think no why <laughs> It's a fucking masterpiece. Because the, be the reason Halloween is special is because it only comes around one time a year. Not in Halloween Town. <laughs> That's true. We could live in Halloween Town oh. all day long. <laughs> anyway, just something to think about. Oh, I also had another one that I'm going to throw out there because I know that I'm not going to ever make this happen, but I think it would be an amazing show. There needs to be a Tenacious D fan show mm. where Tenacious D fans call in and then they share their tenacious D anecdotes and it's going to be called out of the side hatch. <laughs> I think it would be amazing. Somebody needs to get on that tenacious D fans. Please, please get on that right now. Yeah. I need this in my life. Inject it into my veins yeah, right pretty, now. That is a good idea. Okay. Well, I don't have time because I'm already doing this podcast. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, I'll, I'll throw it on the internet. See, see if somebody takes me up on it. Well, in place of, a 365-day-a-year Halloween podcast, I think we should talk about a scary movie since it is officially the season. Yeah, and I think this month we should devote a lot of it to to Halloween and to share some of our thoughts on this lovely, lovely holiday. So we decided to talk about a movie that is very dear to my heart. It is uh, Stanley Kubrick's version of Stephen King's The Shining. We could talk about this for days, is that the one that you wanted to yeah, talk about? Yeah, I was just thinking you can't really... You can't. You can't put you Stephen can't. King's name on that because right. it really has nothing to do with Stephen King. Right. And just last year, I think you read the book, didn't you? Didn't you read no, The Shining it was a, a little while back? it was a couple about, years back. Yeah. yeah. But recently, and more recent than me, mm -hmm. uh, I wanted to get your thoughts on that transition of, of this story going from Stephen King's point of view to Stanley Kubrick's more uh, clinical... Uh, sort of uh, existential perspective, and it's a, you know what I realized this movie's a lot to unpack when you're when you're drunk. I mean, I think I'm legit <laughs> drunk right now. Yeah, I'm uh, not, but I um, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I I like both of them separately. Yeah, because they're not they're not. The, I mean, they're because not the you, same thing. You have to acknowledge that they're siblings. They're not. Yeah. They're not the same story. They're. They have like similar DNA, or they come from yeah. the same DNA, but they're they're their own story. And the big distinction, and I remember this from um, from a story that I can't remember if it was on uh, in Stephen King's book on writing or if it was something that I saw on the internet. But they mentioned that when Stephen King was. Um, he wasn't really a part of the movie at all, mm -hmm. right? Because Stanley Kubrick had his own ideas, but he received a call from Stanley Kubrick in the middle of the night mm. as the as the mythology goes, and Stanley Kubrick asked him, "Do you believe in God?" Mm -hmm. He asked him, "What is your sort of your religious your feeling on religion? You know, what do you believe about about this kind of thing?" and Stephen King obviously has has a bit of a spiritual, religious kind of bent in, in some of his work. And that's really what delineated those stories. Because Stanley Kubrick saw The Shining as, as sort of like this atheist kind of thing 
from an atheist perspective, and there was less of that spirituality in his work. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Is that is that a little a little bit weird? But that's sort of what I got from it. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that's why Stephen King is still pissed off. Mm. <laughs> and he had to go and make his own version, which I never saw. There was a, that new adaptation. It came out probably 10 years ago or something like that. Mm. It was a, a made-for-TV adaptation oh. that was a little bit longer mm-hmm. that Stephen King oversaw. And obviously, because it was a more direct version of the book, it 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 was okay, you mm-hmm. know, but it didn't translate as well. Yeah, it's hard to overcome the iconic nature of the Stanley yeah. Kubrick version. Yeah, and and if you look at that film, it is it's transformative. Yeah, it, it really is, is incredible. So my the big distinction I made when I read the book versus having watched the movie was that. Um, the movie is much more centered on Jack Nicholson's character uh-huh. than Danny. The book is much more focused on Danny, mm-hmm. um, which is the boy, the son, the boy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, the book is its own thing. And I think it's you're you can be perfectly capable of enjoying both things equally for different reasons. Yeah. Um, you know, but Jack, there's no comparing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's apples and oranges. And, um, I would highly recommend reading the book. It's very good. It's one of his best ones. Um, and I highly recommend watching the movie. <laughs> Just understand that there are differences and that Stephen King had nothing to do with the Kubrick version. Um, I don't really know what yeah, else to and, say. Yeah, and like about I said, it. we're we're almost out of time, so I I just wanted to to give a little blurb more than anything about a movie that was on our minds. I was going to uh, ask I, you when you first saw that movie. I first saw that movie before I I was allowed to. <laughs> yeah. Um, we had AMC and they played it on AMC when when I was in high school. So, uh, I love. I love that movie because it hit me at an impressionable time. I did read The Shining before I was supposed to. I read that in seventh grade, mm-hmm. uh, and it's young. I was I was sneaking in Stephen King before I should have been, uh, and as as I've said before, I credit Stephen King with helping me fall in love with the English language and stories and the spooky scary because mm-hmm. he got me through some tough times in mm-hmm. middle school, but. I read The Shining in in the seventh grade, and I was really taken by it. A lot of the time, I didn't understand certain things mm-hmm. I, because I mean, I I had just started speaking English and learning the language in fifth grade. Yeah. So there were some things that weren't really like I had to go back and read it again. But when I saw The Shining, it made more sense to me. Mm-hmm. It was, it wasn't so much about the spiritual part of it, but watching that in high school. And really getting a sense of what what cinema could be. I mean, you watch a Stanley Kubrick movie and you just get completely blown away by what the medium can do for you. And watching Jack Nicholson, of course, like, I'm just a fucking fanboy for for Jack Nicholson. So watching that performance, I think, is still a towering work of cinema. Yeah. Just his performance alone in that that goddamn movie. That was peak. Yeah. Jack Nicholson, Pete too, Nicholson. like when he was like, yeah, you know, killing it. And a lot of people give him shit for being too bombastic or too too melodramatic or, or you know, grandiose for the sake of being grandiose. But I say, let it inhabit that world. If it's an expression of of the feeling, yeah, what it's trying to convey, what it's trying to share with you. I never felt like that was I, out of place in that movie. No. It felt like it fit because everything was so yeah. insane. Yeah. But overall, I just get the sense that, that Jack Nicholson uses that to share the feeling with you, the mm-hmm. audience member. And that's why it's so playful and so fun to see. Mm-hmm. I could watch that fucking movie all day, every day, even if I'm not in a mood to watch a scary movie, yeah. just because I relish those performances and that that craft coming oh, at you. I do think there's another big difference for me between the book and the movie is in the book, the hotel is a character. Uh-huh. Um, and to an extent, that's the case in the movie. But in the book, it's very pronounced. Mm-hmm. That hotel 
fucking demons, man. Like that, you know, you yeah, through that yeah. whole book, you're like, this hotel is going to kill all of them. <laughs> like this is not going to end well for anyone. Right. Um, and you know, the source of it is the hotel. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, you do feel that, that bigger threat in, yeah. in the book for sure. Um, but we were thinking of making a trip to the, to the Stanley, to the Stanley hotel. hotel. Yeah. yeah. That might be our trip next summer. So we're going to keep you posted and see if we share some, some yeah, we pass, we pass the exit to Estes Park every time we go to Denver. And I'm like, we need to go. That would be pretty fucking sick. Yeah. That'd be fun. We're overdue. We we have to go do that. It's so windy outside. Oh, that's what I'm hearing. The yeah, wind. It's so windy outside that you can hear it through yeah. the uh, through the vent here. So uh, we're going to have to clean that up a, a little bit. <laughs> as you know, we live in Wyoming. So as our son would call it, it's big windy mm-hmm. out tonight. Yeah. Big windy. Any thoughts uh, on how to kick off Halloween before we uh, before we sign off? Mm. Other than watching a scary movie? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. We need to get our son a costume. That's right. We're going to get our son a costume. We're going to watch a shit ton of scary movies. And I'm going to buy you guys candy corn so <laughs> you guys can uh, yeah. have with that what you will. Not me, though. That shit is disgusting. <laughs> Uh, we're going to wrap it up. Uh, thank you guys for joining us on this episode back after our weird hiatus, but let's tink to the shining. Let's tink to the shining, but no, not to the news. Headline. Not to the news. Cause that shit was depressing. Yeah. Okay, folks. Well, have a wonderful weekend or week or morning or evening, whatever time you're listening to this, to this podcast. Um, see ya. Have a good night.